0: We are wrapping up a series today called, can anyone guess the name of the series if you're new? How did you guys guess that, right? Child of God. We're wrapping up a series called Child of God. We've been exploring this amazing section of Romans chapter eight. And if you're new to the whole Jesus thing, if you're new to the whole church thing, like Romans chapter eight probably doesn't sound super exciting, I get that. But if you are someone who's followed Jesus for a while and you're somewhat familiar with scripture, you know that, that Romans chapter eight, it's a big deal. This section of scripture might be as powerful, as transformative, as impactful as any single section that we have in the entirety of the Bible. In fact, I believe that that the words written in Romans chapter eight are some of the most revolutionary ideas that mankind has ever been given. And I'm not being hyperbolic. Romans chapter eight tells us some really important and crazy things. It tells us that the God of the universe, the God who created everything, The higher power that human beings at our core are are designed to recognize. That that higher power loves us. That that higher power is for us. That God wants us to know him by name and that God loves us so much that he actually wants to adopt us as his very own children and share everything that he has with us. That he gives to us everything. Now, if, if you just do a little bit of research and you study the history of humanity and how humanity has perceived God, you will realize that that is a revolutionary idea. It might be an idea that because of, of where we're standing in history, because of our church culture, you're very familiar with and you're like, yeah, God loves us, we're his kids, that's great. But if you study human history and look at the way that cultures throughout history have perceived God or, depending on the culture, the gods, God or the gods are generally hostile to people. At the very best, they they tolerate and endure people, but they would be just as happy to wipe people off the face of the earth. I'm serious, study any culture. Study ancient Egypt and what they viewed of the gods. Study the Romans, study the Greeks, and you find that, that there's no concept of a God who loves you. Now there's a concept of a God who demands of you. There's the concept of a God who must be appeased. But there simply is no concept of a God who sees you, who knows you, who loves you. Jesus is the one who introduced us to that idea. And, and honestly, the Old Testament has a lot of that as well. It wasn't a new thing. God spoke his love over people all the time, but we as people get it all mixed up and, and turned upside down. So even though God had, had showed his hand in his love for us, we're really good at, at turning love into religion. And so Jesus had to come and set the record straight once and for all. God is for us. He loves us. And we can be his children. So we've been exploring this for the last few weeks and every single week we've kind of unpacked a, a piece of it. And it's it's been a lot. There's been a lot to chew on. There's been a lot to savor. And my hope has been that every week we're able to leave here and, and have something to just process and enjoy for the entire week. But today we're gonna look at all of it. Today is not... It's not an appetizer. Today's not even like a main course. Today is a feast. We're gonna look at all that this is saying about who we are and who God is and what God believes and thinks about us. And the idea today is that you have something to feast on. And this is so incredible. This is so amazing. This should be something that you cannot get over. This should be something that you can't be done with in a few hours when it comes to how you process it, what it means for your life. The goal today is for us just to feast on how good our God is to us. So with that said, we're going to open up Romans chapter 8, and we're going to go all the way from verses 15 through verse 29. This is the entire section that we've been studying, so let's read this together. And I'm reading this off the mobile app, by the way, if you have it, you can follow along. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he'll reveal to us later for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time, and we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. That's that's a lot to feast on. There's a lot there, and so far we've, we've gone all the way up to verse 29, and we went actually through verse 30. And so what I want us to do is I want us to just unpack this a little bit to understand this, because there's a lot that's being communicated, but we, we've gotta experience all of it, so that when we get to the end, it's all wrapped up, we understand it all, we can experience all that's supposed to come from this, okay? So a few key ideas that we've gone through. Um, you've been adopted, congratulations. You've been adopted into the family of God. God has adopted you. And that means he's not stuck with you. I'm stuck with my children, you know? And there's like nervous laughter when I say that. I love my kids so much. I love, I mean, if you have kids, you know this, you love your children, but if you have the ability to go back in time and like edit a few things, you totally would. And don't don't act like you wouldn't. Don't be like, oh no, I love, yeah, of course you love them as they are, but you wouldn't want one of your kids to be like a little bit smarter. You know, just a little bit. Or like, like video games a little less, if you could do that, anything, no? Okay, here's the reality. Uh, God has adopted us, he's chosen us, he's not stuck with us, he didn't have to do it. But he looked at us, he loved us, and he said, I want to pay the price that it takes for them to be in the family. Adoption is expensive today, it's always been expensive, the cost for our adoption was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, on the cross, that makes us the most expensive adoptees that have ever existed. And he didn't do that ignorant about who we are. We talk about this all the time, a lot of times as people we love because we're ignorant. We love people because we don't know much about them. That's why it's so much easier to fall in love than it is to stay in love, right? Like you fall in love with people when you know very little about them. Someone said amen to that and I love that. We can all, (laughs) that was an amen of experience. That was an amen, I've been there. (laughs) Right, you fall in love with someone because you know very little. You, You know only what they want you to know. And then when you learn who they really are, right? It's you gotta work to stay in love. Okay? God is ignorant of nothing. There is nothing about you that he does not know. And when he chose to adopt you as his son or his daughter, he did it knowing all your stuff all your struggles, all your issues, he was ignorant of none of it, and he looked at you knowing everything about you, knowing even the things about you that you don't even know, and said, I want them, I choose them, I will pay the highest price possible for them. That's amazing, that's incredible, you've been adopted. But it goes on, it says not only have we been adopted, but we are now heirs, we've been adopted by somebody pretty important. You know, I I made the joke the very first Sunday, that if you happen to be, let's say, the son of the president, you could get away with just about anything, and everybody laughed, thinking I was making a joke about like Hunter Biden, and uh, and I was. <laughs> okay, and it wasn't look, it wasn't a political statement. It's just true. It's just true. If you're the child of. A president or a king, if you look at like the history of all of the important people with authority on the earth, their kids can get away with just about anything. Now, yes, there's more scrutiny and yes, there's more attention when they make mistakes, but they they tend to to walk from those pretty consistently because their their parents are somewhat important. Is anyone more important than God? No. Answer, if you're wondering, like, well, no, the answer is no, okay, because God is the king of everything. That's why it's so interesting, if you study the temptation of Jesus right after he's baptized, he goes out into the wilderness, he gets tempted. And one of the final temptations is Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth and he says, if you worship me, all this is yours. And it was such a silly temptation because all of that already is his and then some. For Jesus to accept authority over all the earth would have been a downgrade for Jesus because he has authority over all creation. Our God is important, our God is the king. And if we belong to him, we are heirs. We have something to inherit. What do we inherit? Well, a few things, we inherit suffering, it says that. And look, when you're in a family, you inherit some of the, the downsides of being part of that family, right? And one of the downsides of being a follower of Jesus, belonging to this family, is that there are people who will discredit you assume things about you, and sometimes even oppose and hate you because you belong to Jesus and for no other reason. But Jesus told us it would be this way. John 15, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. It's important for us to remember, Jesus followers, we don't belong to this world. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They do all this because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. So yes, following Jesus doesn't mean smooth sailing all the time. Following Jesus does not mean that everything goes the way that we would like it to go and that everyone loves us and accepts us. There is suffering. But Romans said, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. And that brings us to our next word, and this is a big one. This is a good one. Glory. What do you really inherit? When you're an heir of God, you inherit glory. Now, this is a word that we don't really use in the same way that the people who would have been familiar with this word in Jesus' day, they understood it differently than us. It's a word that we just don't use in our current vernacular that often. And when we do, we use it to describe things that aren't really glorious. The ancient Hebrew, the word for glory that we see translated so often in scripture, it's a word that it literally means weight. It means heavy, and it has the idea that there some, there's something so powerful, something so weighty, something that has so much gravity that it cannot be ignored. You can't be in its presence and not realize that you are in the presence of something amazing. It can't be ignored. And we we see little glimpses of that on the earth, but nothing that can compare to God's glory. Like, have you ever been around someone who is someone that everyone believes is important, someone that everyone just assumes and recognizes this person is is very important and they have weight, they have gravity around them? I had an experience with that just a few months ago. Um, About two months ago, Shaquille O'Neal was was here at our church, which is a pretty cool thing. Uh, and so if you're not familiar, Shaquille O'Neal was a basketball player, the number one draft pick in the 1992 draft, uh, and uh, very, who put a Bulls picture? Shaquille O'Neal was never on the Bulls. That's a joke, he was not on the Bulls. Our tech guy doesn't know basketball, he got, he got duped. No, he wasn't on the Bulls. Uh, but man, had he been, uh, it wouldn't have even been fair. So Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> big guy, seven foot one, played at 325 pounds during his career, and he was here. By the way, that picture is, is right in our front lobby, the one that you see right there on the left. That's not a child he's standing next to, that's a fully grown man on the left, okay? Fully grown man. The guy on the right, also huge. That guy's like 6'7", and Shaq towers over him. He had to duck to get in and out of our doors. It was pretty cool. Um, And my son, you know, just being a massive basketball fan, when he found out Shaq was gonna be here, he's like, I gotta meet him, I I gotta like get him to sign a card. And so Liam brought one of his Shaquille O'Neal cards, and and that's Shaq signing Liam's card. That necklace costs more than my house. I promise you that. (laughs) But you know, Shaq being around him, like it's it's weighty. Number one, he's huge. Like, literal weight. He weighs 320 something pounds. That's that's a lot. But it wasn't just him, it wasn't just his his persona, his bigness, it was like his entourage. There were all these people around him. There were people there to protect him, to be a, a barrier between him and, and people that he didn't wanna talk to. And so there was all this commotion. Everywhere that he went, there, was, there were things happening. There, it's glory, it's weight. You know, Shaq couldn't just walk from here to there without people noticing. But that's nothing compared to the glory of God. There's, there's moments in scripture where we get glimpses into heaven. We get these little glimpses into like the throne room and every single time you wanna talk about, about attention, about gravity, about weight, about not being able to ignore the power that someone has, listen to what, to what the angels say when they're in the presence of God. Keep in mind, these are not human beings. These are heavenly beings. These are, these are beings that if we were around them, we would fall down thinking something bad had happened to us. Like in the Bible, anytime an angel shows up, people just fall down and think they're dead. So what do those beings do when they're in the presence of God? They worship him. And so, for example, Revelation chapter four, verse eight, They're just constantly saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Revelation 5.13 says, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. That's the glory of God. There's nothing in this world that compares to it. It's heavy, it's weighty, there's gravity, it's undeniable, and, and what's crazy is that because you are an heir, because you've been adopted by God, he's gonna share that glory, that glory that belongs to God the Father, to Jesus the Son, that glory will be shared with you. You are set to inherit that, and I don't even know how to process that. I don't even know how to imagine that. I just know that that's unbelievable. That's who, who you are. That's what you're set to inherit because you're a child of God. And this gives us something that we all need on a day-to-day basis, it gives us tremendous hope. We read that in Romans 8, we, we look forward to this with hope. Even if we're suffering now, we look forward with hope. And look, children are really good at hope, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago, children are really good at looking forward to things. There's no 10 year old who believes their best days are behind them, can't find that. Children have this natural ability to just know that there's good stuff ahead of me. They dream, they have so much ambition for the future because they have a a natural hope that says the best is yet to come. And the older we get, the easier it is for us to get tricked into believing that the opposite is true, that the best is behind us. Look, if we really understood what God is offering us, there should be no 90-year-old Christian who believes the best is behind them. Your glory days are not behind you. Your glory days are to come because of the glory that you're set to inherit. So we should live with tremendous hope because we're the children of God. Now, hope is great. Kids are really good at, at hoping, but you know what kids are not good at? They're not good at waiting. Kids are terrible at waiting. They're awful. It's like, like there's no such thing as a child who's naturally patient, and if there is, they're not one of mine. Um, like. Kids aren't good at waiting. And so what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in this time between what Jesus did for us and and what he won for us and our our waiting to experience it in its fullness? That's what we talked about last week. What do we do in the the meantime? Because the meantime, it's not that fun. I mean, think back to when you were a kid and how much you had to wait for stuff. Like, how long does Christmas seem to a child in July? You know? If my kid comes to me, he's like, Dad, I want something big. And I'm like, oh, put it on your Christmas list. They're like, Christmas? That's never even going to get here. Like in their mind, what in the world? Christmas. I'm like, it's just like five months away, six months away. Just wait. And that's impossible. But you know what? We find ourselves in the monotony, in the struggle of the day-to-day, in all these different areas of our life. It's relationships. Maybe it's our physical health. Maybe it's our finances, it's it's our careers, you name it, and we're dealing with all the all the hard parts of life and it can just feel like an eternity. What do we do in the meantime? And the answer is, we well, we wait, but we wait and we grow. Children have to grow, they have to develop, they have to mature before they're ready to step into what they're meant for. And the same is true for us. Now, the good news is we have help. As we read just a few minutes ago, Romans chapter eight says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit helps in the meantime. Now the challenge is are we helpable? Because sometimes it's not easy to be someone who is helpable. You can, you can try to help someone who doesn't want to receive help, it doesn't tend to go well. As a dad I have this conversation a lot. Because I try to help my kids. I try to instruct them, I try to help them grow but they don't always receive what I'm, what I'm offering. It's frustrating and I hate to use another sports analogy because I just did the whole thing with Shaq, but uh, it's really Shaq's fault for being here. So this is what I have. But, you know, I, I, I was saying this to one of my kids the other day. I said, hey look, when, when we have conversations, I feel like I'm playing a game of tennis. Every time I, I give you something, you hit it right back, and it's exhausting, and it's unnecessary because I'm not against you, I'm not your opponent. You know, When you play tennis, the person across the net, they're not on your team. And so I keep, I keep telling you things and, and you keep hitting it right back and we just do this back and forth and I, you don't enjoy it, I don't enjoy it, but I will win. <laughs> right? So stop. And in reality, we're on the same team, it should be more like football. If I throw you something, you should receive it and then run with it, run with it, see what happens, see where you go. You know guys, we, we tend to play a lot of tennis with God in the meantime. I see it all the time and I experience it in my own life. I've, I've lost a lot of tennis matches to God and I should have just surrendered at the get-go and said, let's not do this game. But I, I do and so do all of us and I see it constantly as a pastor where people are, are fighting with God, God's calling them to do something and they just keep figuring out reasons to hit it back. I see it with baptism. The number of people I have heard tell me that they, have, they know they should be baptized, they've given their life to Jesus, they're just, they're waiting. Something's just, I'm like, what are you waiting for? The only requirement for baptism is belief. It's not a finish line, it's a starting point. And, and yet, people are like, I oh, no, but I, I'm just, and they go back and forth, and it doesn't tend to end well. It, it tends to lead to a lot of discouragement and exhaustion, and it's all unnecessary. I see it happen with people in finances. Finances are one of the hardest parts of our lives to sort of surrender to God, which is really funny, because like, honestly, how many of us are good with finances? Pretty much none of us. Like, we're like, no, I'm pretty good, and then we're like, well, are you, eh, not really. Uh, And yet it's like the one thing that we're like, no, God, I can't trust you with this because I'm so good at it. Uh, But I see people do that and God's calling them, hey, be generous and and I want you to to use what I've given you for other people, not just for yourself. And they're like, yeah, but, but, and they play tennis and it doesn't work. Or maybe it's a specific part of obedience. God's calling you to do something. He's he's helping push you (laughs) into something really good, but you struggle with it. And it's like, there's all this pushback and God's okay with pushback for a while. Look at the story of Moses When God speaks to Moses from the burning bush, Moses plays tennis with God for a little while, but you just don't win that match. And it's unnecessary because God's not your opponent. He's for you. So what if instead of fighting it, what if you just received it, took the help that the Holy Spirit's giving you as you're growing and maturing and ran with it? Then you would see what what God really has for you. So in this meantime, we've gotta grow. We've gotta be helpable. We've gotta receive the help that the Holy Spirit's given us even when that help is hard. Because look, at the end of the day, guys, it's all for our our gain anyway. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What What does everything entail? All the things, right? Everything. It's the good stuff, it's the bad stuff. God can use it all for your benefit because he's on your team because he's for you why you're his child you're his child now all of this wraps up in worship team if you guys want to make your way out all of this wraps up with this unbelievable realization that this is not a nice sentiment this is not a sweet thought this is not a metaphor this is not something that's that's intended to make you think yeah i know god loves me like a father no he loves you as a father You're not like the son or the daughter of God. You are the son or the daughter of God. And this may be impossible to fully grasp as human beings. It might might be impossible to fully appreciate. I think it is in some ways. But this is a feast that we are meant to savor. This is a feast that we're meant to enjoy. This is something that is meant to lift our spirits every moment of the day, no matter what is happening, no matter what you're going through, this is meant to lift you up. In fact, at the very end, of this section we're looking at. If you could put into words just how incredible this is, I think this does a good job. Romans 8, 29 through 30. It says, for God knew his people in advance. He knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself and given them right standing, he gave them his glory. That's, that's what ties this whole thing together. Think about this for just a second. Like, honestly, think about this. It says that he knew you in advance. I don't know when you met God. I don't know when you first became introduced to God, but, but I can tell you when he became introduced to you. Ephesians chapter one, verse four, says even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Before he laid the foundations of the earth, that was a long time ago, before that happened, he loved you. He knew you in advance, and he loved you. God has known you well in advance. It's powerful. Hey, Joshua, would you, would you bring some music up? Because I think this is kind of a, a worshipful moment. This is not just meant for us to think about intellectually. This is meant for us to be able to, to have a worshipful spirit about. This is, this is awe-inspiring. This is meant to make our, our jaws drop. And so, Arthur, if you want to play, and Joshua, just bring Arthur up if you don't mind. Thank you. He knew you in advance. He knew you were gonna drop that Lord's Supper cup. He knew it. He knew how many times it was gonna hit the floor. And it says more. It says he chose you. And it says that he chose you to become like his son. Now, now here's what's interesting. How in the world are you like the son, Jesus? I mean, you really think about that. Would, Would any of us on our own say, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot like Jesus. You know, who do you think you're, you're most like? Oh, Jesus Christ, right? Jeff Bezos owns Amazon. He's the richest man in the world. He and Elon Musk kind of go back and forth as the richest people in the world, like changes every week, but both of them are, are worth somewhere in the $200 billion range, okay? I am closer to being a financial equal to those guys than I am to being any kind of equal to Jesus Christ, right? Like I got a better shot at having as much money as they do as, as I have being an equal to Jesus. Have you guys been watching any of the, the Olympic stuff at all? You guys know who Simone Biles is? She's like our, our gymnast champion, the most like incredible gymnast. I watch her do stuff. Uh, she's amazing. She might go down as like the best Olympian in history. I have a better chance of matching Simone Biles in an Olympic floor routine, okay? I have a better chance of that than matching Jesus Christ when it comes to wisdom and love and power. So how in the world am I like the Son? If he's chosen us to be like the Son, he didn't just know us, he's chosen us to be like the Son, how is that possible? And the answer is simply this, we are the same as Jesus when it comes to our status in God's eyes, we are the same as Jesus when it comes to the amount of love that God has for us. That's how we're like the Son. We have the status of the son. We have the same love as the son. When Jesus was baptized, when Jesus got baptized, the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my dearly loved son. With him, I'm I'm pleased. What do you think he says about you? And this is my other kid, right? Oh, this is the son who I love, he's amazing. And then this is my other son and daughter. They're all right, but he's the one. No, he loves you the same. And, and, And I need you to hear this, this is real. This isn't made up. You have the same status in the father's eyes as Jesus the son. You are a co-heir with Jesus. So he looks at you and he says the same words to you that he said to the son. This is my dearly loved son. He looks at you and says, this is my dearly loved daughter. I am pleased with you. Do you know that God's pleased with you? It's powerful. So he knew you in advance, he's he's chosen you to be like the son. And then it says that that having chosen us, he's called us to him. Now, every child knows what it's like to be called by their parents. It just depends on how you get called, right? Like if you get called with your middle name, no. You know, I've got four boys and, and one daughter. And anytime guys ask me, do you love your daughter differently? Yeah, totally, totally. And it's like a running joke and I, I'll say it for years, I would. Die for my sons, I would kill for my daughter. Right? In fact, I got to have a really cool moment just a few weeks ago, where there was a, a boy uh, at a at a gymnastics camp that my daughter was at. She's not really dude. She just did it for the summer, wanted to try it, and he was really mean to her. And it wasn't like another kid. It was one of the uh, one of the coaches. And she's a really tough girl, really tough girl. Uh, I'm her dad, and I'm kind of an intense person, and she's really tough, and so I've never seen her in tears ever about the way that someone spoke to her. And so I was like, well, what's this boy's name? And she said, Tanner. And I was like, Tanner. Well, I'm gonna, take you, I'm gonna take you to gymnastics camp tomorrow and I'm gonna meet Tanner. And I got to, it was so great. I've like been waiting for this moment. Thought I'd have to wait till she was a teenager. Got it early, it was great. And so I got to stand in front of Tanner and say, hey, Tanner, I'm, I'm Lily's dad. And I'm shaking his hand the whole time, I wouldn't let go. And I said, hey, look, I, she's seven years old. Maybe she's mistaken. I understand that, but she had a really rough experience yesterday. And when I asked her why in tears, she said that you were just extremely intense with her. And I said, sir, I I know you're a young guy. He's like 17. I said, the way that a man speaks to a woman says a lot about who that man is. And the way he speaks to a young woman says even more. And so if there's any validity behind what my daughter said yesterday, I just trust you to think on that and make the necessary adjustments. And then I shook his hand for 10 awkward seconds and it was awesome. It was great. It was great. Right, because that's my daughter, right? I love my daughter. And if you lived in my home and you heard me call to my daughter, you, you would hear one of two things. If I'm upset with her, she would hear her middle name and I would yell, Lily Esther McTeer. And she would come to me like, what's going on? That doesn't happen that often. She's really good. But what you'd more than likely hear is her nickname, which is Beans. Uh, we call her Beans. And that just happened because when she was little, she just looked like a little bean. And so we called her our our lily bean. And then that just became bean. And then eventually we put a S on it for some reason. And so if you were in my house, you'd be weird, but you'd be, you'd hear all the time like, hey beans. And then this little blonde girl would come running. But see, there's an intimacy there. Like I love her so much, I'd do anything for her. I will take on all the tanners in the world for that girl and look forward to it. But that beans, she and me, oh. So when the Father calls to you, you think he's using your middle name or do you think it's an intimate calling? Is he calling you to him to to, to put you in your place or is he calling you to him to put you in a place you could never be otherwise? In fact, it's it's crazy to think about, but scripture hints that in heaven, we're given new names. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like, but I just have this thought of, of God the Father giving us this name that's like, It's like that name I have for my daughter. It's this intimate name that's between the two of us. And just hearing it communicates, I'm close to you, I love you, I want you to be in my presence, I wanna spend time with you, I want you near me. He's chosen you to be like the sun, he's known you from before time began, and he's called you to him. And having called you, he gave you right standing with himself. Where do you belong? Right next to God. Why? Because he's given you right standing. He's made you righteous. You belong with him because he says so. And having given them right standing, finally, he gave them his glory. You are so important. This is so incredible to think through to process all of this, what it really means to be a child of God. I mean, we just covered it all. Well, we covered all that we could and there's more to that than we could possibly imagine. Guys, this is life-changing stuff. I'm telling you, however you define yourself, however you've defined yourself through all of life, maybe it's been success. A lot of us define ourselves based on success. Success can fade. Your status as the child of God cannot. You can make mistakes that can change you from a success to a failure overnight. You can do nothing to change the status that you have as the son or the daughter of God. You might define yourself some other way. There might be something that you look to and say, oh, I'm I'm valuable because I can whatever. No, 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 you're valuable because you are the adopted, paid for, expensive, loved, chosen, called, gifted, glory given, glory inheriting, child of the God of the universe. There's nothing that can compare to that. There's nothing that you will ever be. There's nothing that you will ever be that will be greater than that. And so how do we respond to all of this? And the answer is you just got to be his child. Guys, at the end of the day, our faith is not a do faith. It's a be faith. This is not about you going and doing a bunch of things. No, no. The things that need to be done for the most part, they've been done. Now we live in response to God and we obey what God says, but ultimately our call is just to be, to be his, to be his child, to be his son, to be his daughter. And so I wanna challenge you and encourage you, be a child this week. I don't don't mean be childish, I mean be childlike, be a child this week. When you talk to God, do you talk to him as your father? Like do you call him father? Because Jesus said to do it. When asked to pray, Jesus said, pray this way, our father. Do you speak to God as your father? You should. If you belong to Jesus, he's your dad. When you bring your requests to God, do you bring your requests, like a child requests things of their, their father? Which is just short of a demand most of the time, right? When you need help, do you cry out to the father? You know, children don't even say the word help. They just yell their parents' names. That's help. In our house, mom means help. Dad means help. Do you you ever do that? Do you ever have a struggle and and you're driving home and, and you just go, father, help me? Because you can and he will. You are a child of God. You are not like a child. You gotta be that. You gotta live that. That's gotta be a daily thing. You've gotta get out of the habit of thinking of yourself under any other circumstance, any other way, any other identity. You gotta get out of the whole American resume building. I'm valuable because X, Y, Z. You are valuable because the son, because you are the son or the daughter of God. That's it. Nothing can top it. So be that. Enjoy that. Like, live it up. It's exciting. Be what you are. Be who you are.